Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, John. Hey, how you doing? Better than average, I would say. Uh, yeah, a little, it's a little cloudy here. It kind of, the weather's a little mixed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're starting to cool down finally. Uh, and by cooling down, it's probably not cooling down by your standards, but it is here. It's getting below 90 during the day, and it's uh, getting below 70 at night. So that's cool. Wow. <laughs> well, listen, uh, hey, here we are. We got a show. We got a show. We got a show. To deal with a very, very timely because we are actually broadcasting this show on, uh, well, we, on 9-11, which is yes, kind of a are. big day. So we'll, we want to make sure that we make that known. And it's, it's hard to get through this day without uh, thinking a lot, a lot of memories, of, uh, a yeah. variety of things. I mean, everybody yeah, knows yeah. where they were, that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, yep. And yeah, and this is the 20th anniversary of 9/11. More, moreover. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's that it's the it's a kind of what we call milestone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Big a time. significant. It's yeah. And uh, so hey, listen. Uh, do you have any clothes on? Maybe from. Let's just go from the top, <laughs> from the waist up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's stick the important. The let's stick the important stuff. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm wearing I'm wearing the uh, Season of the Lizard T-shirt, the Bro Show Season of the Lizard T-shirt. Wow, you know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's I, I said he's got to do it because you you got the you got the lizard story nailed. Yeah, I decided yeah, to yeah. go. I just bought some stamps, and I and I said I need animals. I went to the post office. I need animals, and sure enough, what do they present me with? They present me with the the commemoration of this of the year of the rat. So I got my rat T-shirt on. Oh, okay. Uh, you you know, took that as a sign. You took that as a sign. Yeah, yeah. I said I, I got to run with it. I got the stamps. Now I got to get the, the, the shirt on, and it's the old the old bro show. Uh, it's my season. Uh, well, I don't want. I don't know if I can say it on the show. Um, well, what but it was there, Tim. Pictures. Oh, I, oh, I, oh. What, what was that? Oh well. Oh well. I didn't say that. He didn't say that. Yeah. Hey, For those you know, are, I think. Hold on. For those who are new to the show, my name's Jerry. Hey. What's your name? John. Okay, we're brothers. I, I think, brothers. Hey, today it's John, yeah. It's, oh, yeah what, what do you need it to be today? <laughs> I know. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Whatever man. I need it to be to get to do this show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, we have a sponsor, the Horn Lizard Conservation Society. They take care of these cute little horned lizards that live in West Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, etc., and uh, they're taking good care of them. They got a beautiful T-shirt themselves with a horned lizard on it. You can see it in our show notes. And that's wow. it. So yeah. listen, I think the lizard story. I kind of came up with the idea because uh, I wanted to do a little bit something different with lizards. And I, we have these sort of urban myths, legends, whatever, and one of them happens to be that people feel that there are certain animals that are going to crawl into their toilets by going through this. The, uh, the, uh, the the sewer system, and yeah, not if it isn't at the top, it is close to it. When it comes to this this myth, or well, we're going to find out how much of it's myth and how much is real, is the fact that lizards can all of a sudden you flip the lid and you say, "Oh dear, I've got to be careful here. Maybe I have a friend that I don't that is is visiting me in my yes, toilet. yes, it is a so problem." I, yeah, it, it could be a problem. problem. So what we've got is the fact that do lizards 
primarily iguanas, appear in your toilets? Is that possible? And uh, Mr. Animal Man, producer, mm. I, uh, I would like you to give us a little of the deets as yeah, to whether we can be worried yeah. that our, our butts are going to be bit or not. Or worse. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's not get. Yeah. Let's not get to the private parts here. Yeah. Some of us have dangly bits. Okay. So, uh, yeah, iguanas. Uh, iguanas are fine lizard. Uh, they're they're common. You know, south south of Texas, uh, and you know, going way into Mexico and down to South America, Central America, they have iguanas, and they've come up here via the pet stores because they make decent yeah. pets. They're not a bad right. pet at all until they get too big, and then people do things like let them go and right. uh, they can survive up here. And uh, so there is this thing about iguanas and toilets. You've seen pictures of them. You've heard myths about them and whatever, but the, it does happen. And I'm going to buzz through this kind of quick because we've got a lot to do with uh, our main topic today. Yes. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, the real place where you're going to find an iguana in a toilet is Florida. Florida mm-hmm. has the most invasive species of any state in, in the union, and that's not a political statement, by the way. <laughs> that's a biological, zoological <laughs> statement. Uh, yeah, and so iguanas are there. Now, people say, oh, wow, they're running through the sewer system. You know, it's not quite like that, because uh, the places they show up a lot, and they show, they've show they shown up in Miami, so sometimes they'll come through the sewer system underneath and come up in the toilet. Now, how does that work? People have this misunderstanding. They think that sewer pipes are like hot and cold water pipes, that there's a continuous body of water in there. And they think to themselves, how does a, a lizard, which is not aquatic, get up through a pipe full of water? Well, sewer pipes are not full of water. When you flush the toilet or use the sink, the water goes down the pipe at that moment. And then when you turn off the water, it stops. So the vast majority of the time, your sewer pipes are devoid of water, except the traps the pea traps, yeah. they call them, that, that actually trap water and keep fumes from coming back up and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. there's a small body of water that the lizard has to go through to get up and in, to get air from the toilet. Now, why are they doing this? They must have a reason, John. Yes. And I guess, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting that you mentioned, and that is this whole idea of the water and the flow. But keep in mind that lizards can't hold their breath for a while. So even if we have the flush, they can hang yeah. in there for that short oh, yeah. period of time. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so be, yeah, it's pretty interesting the, the way that they kind of pop up. And I think it's a lot of kind of, you know, we have pets. We've also got then nature getting closer to uh, civilization, urban areas. Yes. And yes. it's that standard thing where whether it's a deer, whether it's a lizard or, or it's a bear. Or, bear. <laughs> or coyotes, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. all getting a bit to become a bigger part of our lives, and lizards have their own special way. Now, here's the, the part I didn't get. So, first of all, why would a lizard come up? Well, lizards do have that thing where they like to go to higher ground. We saw that with our star, story with the monitor in the convenience store. Remember yeah. that story early yeah. in the season? Really? Yeah, they like to get the higher ground, especially if there's other creatures on the ground. They feel safer. They have a view of what's going on, particularly if they're a good-sized lizard. So here's the way this works. In Florida, the, they have they have a part of the year that gets a little colder, and the guanas don't like that. And the guanas do like to get up in the trees, though. So guana goes up in the tree. A guana gets cold. A guana jumps on your roof. 
iguana goes down the vent on your roof that vents the toilet system. They fit perfectly in these three-inch pipes. They go right down the pipe, and they go, boy, it's nice and warm in here, but, you know, it's a little cramped. They end up in a sewer pipe at ground level, and then they see this little other pipe going up, and they go, well, I think I'll try this. Yeah, right in your toilet. Yeah, Yeah, they're in a maze, and they come up right in your toilet, and it does happen. We've got some great pictures on on one of our links, iguanas in Florida toilets. You'll see one in a toilet. Yeah, I also, I think it's, reality though is that there's probably just as as many, if not more, that don't make it through the maze and maybe just unfortunately get go the other direction after they maybe die or whatever. Well, they end up in in some of the, uh, you know, the processing plants. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily dead dead. either. Right. Could be dead, could be just, you know, hanging there. And and that's maybe one of the ways they escape. Yep. Okay. Wow. Very good. Yeah. Give us the word, John. What's the word? Oh, the word. It's, uh, you know, fear of toilets. Well, we're going to move to fear of something else. It's called uh, emetophobia. Emetophobia is the word E-M-E-T-O-P-H-O-B-I-A. Extreme fear of vomiting. And what's what's interesting about this word is that there's another word that's very close to it called uh, emetic, E-M-E-T-I-C, which is the way that you induce vomiting. That's a word. It's a more of a medical term. Or it's the substance mm-hmm. that you use to make that happen. Yeah. So here we've got it. And what just to give a, a an example of an sentence. Uh, emetophobia makes people believe that they are going to get sick, but it never happens, which kind of describes it. It's wow. more anxiety than it is a physical act of throwing up or even getting ill. You might be have this. And just because you see somebody that appears to be sick, all of a sudden you get you, you get this anxiety that you are going to get sick. And everybody, I guess the person who has that anxiety is concerned that they're going to be throwing up. In a, a, a place that's inappropriate, like, oh, I'm not near a restroom. What's going to happen? Like a car. It, yeah. So you're kind of confined in an area and you don't, you know, like, let's say mm-hmm. you're in the boardroom in the middle of a presentation. Oh, dear. Where do I, where's, where's the closest wastebasket? You know, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Or an airplane. I saw an article that's sitting in the Chicago Sun-Times on September 5th called, Does the Thought of Vomiting Make You Sick? So a person that has this anxiety might not even feel like they're going to get sick, or but they could. That could be part of the anxiety. Uh, but it's just the mental state that you get yourself in when you think of, of vomiting is what it, it boils down to. So wow. that's the word. Yeah. I, 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 uh, as, once I saw this word print, I was able to figure it out. But I had not heard it used before. So, But, you know, how many phobias are there? Hey, uh, fear, as many fears as there are. That's probably it. Wow. I mean, that the list of phobias must be real. I haven't seen it, but it must be extremely extensive in here. There should, but be, anyway. there, there should be an encyclopedia of phobias. There's a book. There's a book for you to buy. There's got to be a book out there. <laughs> okay, you ready for the big topic? Yeah, this is a topic that's really hard to get your arms around. There's a movie that's coming that just came out on Netflix called Worth. <clears throat> and the movie Worth, is what it does it it's it's a movie that deals with a very specific topic as it relates to 9/11 uh, it it deals with those people 
the survivors, the people that are left over from the people that died. And what do we do for those people in the way of providing them with some sort of compensation, whether the compensation being monetary, recognition, etc.? So yeah. that this movie was uh, filmed in 2019. It hit the uh, the, the film festival circuit uh, starting with Sundance in t- 2020. And based on that, Netflix decided that they would, you know, be uh, would buy up the, the distribution, et cetera, of it. And they decided to wait until the week before 9-11 or just last week to, to put this movie out there. Um, yeah. So the, the key players and a little bit of the background in the movie is, is that the movie deals with the person who is given the responsibility of doing the compensation. You say, well, one person? Yeah. What is he called? The master? The, there's a name for the actual. There's a name for it. The master. Yeah. yeah. The master is one. What happened at, soon after 9-11 is that Congress felt and the airline industry was the strong uh, lobbying uh, group felt that the the airline industry was going to be significantly harmed financially as a result of 9-11 because of all the lawsuits that were going to take place. And I have a little trouble with that because are they really – are they the ones because somebody took over airplanes? Are they the ones who should be held responsible for it? I think that the point being it is so – it is such a blurry area that – Lawsuits would come in, but it would take you forever to get these things resolved because it isn't a cut and dry thing. So yeah. Congress took upon itself to say, listen, let's stop this right now. What we're going to do is we're going to create a 9-11 compensation fund and we're going to then we're going to what? And I don't think they even put a cap on it necessarily. And they no. were going to give some very, very broad powers to one person. This yeah. person is named Kenneth Feinberg. Kenneth Feinberg was a lawyer who had had plenty of experience in this area with uh, situations such as Agent Orange, uh, other catastrophes yeah. that have taken place. So yeah. he was the go-to guy. What I find is funny is the fact that Ken Stein- Feinberg, and if you hear him in a movie by, by Michael Keaton, he's got a very strong New England accent that's a little forceful. He kind of yeah. forces his way, his way onto you. And, uh, and and I think that that's uh, that's part of, 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 of the thing. But Ken wanted the job. He said, yeah, "I'm he your did. man." Yeah, he did. And Kennedy, he was a uh, big advocate and also worked with uh, on the staff of uh, Teddy Kennedy. And so, through Kennedy, is the one who kind of pushed a little bit to get him mm-hmm. in the forefront. And sure enough, Ken, uh, be careful what you wish for, Ken. But you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> and he did a pro bono, which is great. Yeah, it's pro bono. Didn't want to take any money. Interesting. It's made clear in the movie that yeah. uh, that he does that because he he kind of gives a sign off to his his staff and say, look, uh, my admin assistant and I are going to be doing this pro bono, and they've got what about three years to get this thing all squared away. Yeah. So Ken is a num he's a numbers guy. He's maybe not an accountant, but he feels that any of these things he's done before, he's been able to maybe not. His idea of settling is is to go is to be a situation not where everybody's happy, but where everybody goes you know isn't is is feeling as bad. So it's all relative is as to how he looks. He says I'm not going to satisfy everybody, and probably I'm not going to satisfy many at all. But I feel I'm going to do a fair job, and that's the way it's going to go. 
So he doesn't have a he doesn't have a lot of emotion in it. And nope. I can tell you right now, listening to him talk, the real Ken Feinberg, when he talks, he still has that in your face feeling there that overwhelms any emotion that he might have. It's like, right. and and he's got just a little bit of an ego, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, so that's the way the movie runs, and what what it does is it goes through and has the standard things. He's going to be confronted with all the families. The movie moves relative, kind of slow a little bit because it goes as much into the families and yeah, their does. stories. And I think if you're going to try to give this problem, uh, put it into categories, there's three different pieces that you have to deal with. The first one is recognition of loss. In other words, recognizing the grief. Some of these families, and I don't know, was it 27? I don't even know how many are involved. It's, it's in thousand. the thousands. Yeah, it's, uh, it's in the thousands. And so some people don't want money. They just want to be heard, and they want to make sure that somewhere in this whole exercise that my per- person who w- w- that, I, that affected me by getting killed is recognized. Yeah. Then you've got the issue of who. Who is, yeah. a, is where I find the most interesting part to the exercise because – for example, uh, I, the movie uh, deals with a, a couple of them. The one with the same-sex marriage, where it's very easy to, and you can go through the steps. Well, well, the same-sex. Well, yeah. Well, the law recognizes that marriage in these states. Oh, but wait a minute. What do we do with the one where the law doesn't recognize that? Virginia. And parents, yeah. yeah, and the parents of that person who was will die uh, feel that they deserve it, and they will not even recognize oh no no he he wasn't gay that was just somebody trying to take advantage of him that that other guy that he lived with for five years that was just a guy taking advantage of him yeah yeah Yeah. so you've got that problem i found some that i listened to in the radio show that were interesting fiancés well uh our, our 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 wedding was on october 11th and we've already had a reception and then you go to the 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 parents and they say well wait a minute uh um, my son, who was di- who died, he was going to call that wedding off. Uh, wow! Well, you you wow. gave a reception. By the way, aren't the wedding invites already out? <laughs> you know all this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so th- these are, and then they have a comp- They have one that's really crazy. Where uh, that really th- you got to have a little drama to it. So yeah. we got a, a widow of a fireman who mm-hmm. has he, and and this lady, his wife, worships him. Thinks he's, you know, really a wonderful family man. Has three kids. All of a sudden, Ken Feinberg, who accidentally gets this as one of the cases. And by the way, part of the exercise with doing this, and Ken did. He has a staff. And if you want to have, you want to talk to somebody about it before we make the decision. We're, our door is open. We mm. schedule, and we'll listen to you. So yeah. this woman. Tim comes and says she doesn't want it. But what happens is somebody comes, calls him a lawyer, says, by the way, you know that widow you've been talking to? i got a story for you. That guy had a mistress who had two kids, and we're going to sue to make those kids are taken care of. And now does the wife know? You know, it's all these kind of crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got, it's got all the, it's got that. And uh, I also have to point out that, uh, so the, the story works out well. The foil in the exercise is a guy named Charles Wolf, yes. and they kind of dress up his character a little bit. He he's the guy who basically starts a thing called Fix the Fund, and yes. he as a way of gaining the trust 
of so many people that actually one of uh, Ken Feinberg's uh, people that are working, one of the staff members, decides she starts reading and says, I got to go see this and see how it's, it's working out. And I think that's the turning point where Ken realizes that this guy seems to be able to get them to go along. So he realizes that uh, Charles Wolf is going to be very important. They've got this deadline. And Congress has said, look, you, there's a number you've got to reach. You have got to get 80%, 80% of these people signed up. And you have to understand, when you're signing up, it's sort of like everybody says, well, wait a minute, this is a bait and switch here. You're, you're making us sign up, and what are we – we're going to get money, but what we're going to lose is the right to sue. It's almost like – so it's, it's got this kind of messy piece to it, and that makes yeah. everybody upset. Oh, yeah. So you got yeah. that, and then you've got – so uh, Charles Wolf played by Stanley Tucci, and by the way, this movie has the person the, – the actors is what really sells this movie. Michael yeah, Keaton – the way he is so forceful and the way he his attitude and then you see how it really he's always used to winning and he's having trouble winning in this exercise he needs help yeah, yeah he and and it's like when he reaches that point where he says look uh you've, we've done the best we could uh and, and and finally he looks up and says we've got to open these cases i just he, he falls asleep one night reading through the ones that he still needs to commit and he says we got to change our strategy here there's one piece to understand uh, in terms of the formula to come up with that number, and that's the after who you've got what amount. Yeah, and the amount is based upon the controversial amount is you got you got stock uh, brokers up in this building, the nine you know World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. You've got janitors. Yeah. So the loss of income on the, those two are dramatically different. So there was a compensation factor, and, and Ken Pite kind of put a Feinberg put a lid on exactly the, they put a ceiling on that. There's also what you call pain and suffering. They yeah. decided that the pain and suffering would be uh, awarded equally because everybody, whether you're a janitor or you are a stockbroker, you are we're going to say your suffering is equal. So it was an equal amount for that. So the other thing is. That was kind of controversial is what they call collateral offsets. Well, wait a minute. You, you had a $3 million insurance policy on this guy. So right. there's a little bit of an offset, which, which people thought, well, that shouldn't play into it. Come on. The, the, the loss is significant. There's, then there's the key that Ken could use that saves the day. There is his discretion that can be used. So he could open up these cases and make Make uh, individual adjustments. Yeah, make the yeah. adjustments, and th- so as much as Congress burdened him with not a lot of specifics as to how he was supposed to do this, they also gave him the flexibility to kind of maybe come out uh, on top and uh, and to put a number to it, seven billion dollars was awarded. Wow! Wow! One of the questions that you have as well, uh, the who question is well, what about the person? who uh, was close to it, did a lot of work, and didn't start, uh, you know, suffering the, you know, burns, uh, cancer, whatever. And so there was a very specific day. Uh, yeah, well, you cut have to, day. You have cut off date. And what they've done is they realized that that's a moving target. So since yeah. then, they've, re, they've actually have new acts and been able to help more people. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's what I call a process movie. I start watching it and say, am I going to recommend this movie to anybody? 
And then by the time you get done with it, you think about it afterwards and then it starts to hit you. And then you watch yeah. it again and you say, yeah. I am definitely going to recommend this movie. Yeah, we you now, started out a little lukewarm on the movie after you first saw it. And yeah. Then, and now by today, you changed your tune and you even watched oh, it again this morning, didn't you? This morning. Yeah. I think that the reviews are very, they're what I call lukewarm. We know that the scale is uh, on users uh, on IMDb would be uh, 10 is uh, the highest and high. And if you're in the eights, you're, you're doing great. This movie's got a 6.8. So it's what I call mostly good. On yeah. the critic side of it, which is which 100% would be the best, it's sitting at 67. When right. I take a look at a few of the reviews, they all have something in common. That is, they they complain about not what's in the movie, but what isn't in it. And this movie is so much, it's hard to get everything yeah. into it. Yeah. But the good news is, most of the reviews talk about the brilliant performances the, yeah. and the way that the movie is kind of structured. It's a little bit slow. That sometimes kind of works to its disadvantage. But, uh, yeah, I, it, was, it was really a, a, a good thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. say, yeah, and I know we don't have a lot of time. I've got to mention the director. Because this kind of built, uh, feeds into something else we did. I got two things I got to say. <clears throat> Number one, the director is a woman director. She does a great job. And she's one of these people that, that basically analyzes a situation and, and kind of tells it in a, in a process way with a lot of experience in it. She was a last minute replacement because the, the fellow who was going to do it, I don't even know his name, had a prior commitment and things get pushed. This and timing wasn't good for him. I'm very, I think it's great that they had this lady do it because she did an incredible job. Her yes, name she is did. Sarah Colangelo. Um, so I recommend, she's done very few movies, which because of the movies that she does are not what you call things that sell well in Hollywood. Right. And this is part of the problem with this movie. This movie, the, the actual uh, screenplay was out there in 2008. But it couldn't sell because it's, oh, there's not enough, the, you don't have much of the building crumbling or you have none of it in there. You have a little smoke. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The second thing I got to mention is that we have a, a listener, Larry Roth, who uh, brings another who up to the, the, to the, the equation here. And that is there was a um, uh, Morgan Stanley had a large office in the Trade Center, and their, their security agent, uh, uh, their vice president of security, Rick uh, Res, uh, Coria, Res Coria, R-E-S-C-O-R-I-A, had been through a lot, including a previous scare, a big scare in the garage of one of the World Trade Centers. So he always felt it was going to happen again. Rick wow. Wow. was responsible for doing a lot of training to get people out of the building. Rick was able to get uh, the hundreds of people out. He was only, but he wanted to make sure that everybody in his office got out. So what he did is he went back to go for the last 13 people, a good number. Yeah. And sure enough, those 13 and Rick did not get out of the building. Here's a man wow. who saved hundreds of lives. What is his life worth? Yeah. So you yeah. could go so many ways with this. Yeah, so yeah, as yeah. you can tell, I, I, I'm pretty excited about this movie. Yeah, uh, I, I feel the same way. I, I think it's, you know, if you want to do something on 9-11 to commemorate the people who lost their lives and, and the, more importantly, the people who have to survive after them, uh, this is a very good movie. Uh, 
you know, bring your Kleenex because there's several times it's going to get to you and uh, it should get to you. And the thing that surprised me most about this, people complain about slowness. The beginning, it does. It doesn't creep, but it doesn't move very quickly. But there is it becomes a nail biter by the end of it because they have to get yeah. at least 80 percent. Yeah, they have to get 80 percent by a certain date. Otherwise, it goes back to Congress and the whole thing's going to go to hell. So or else it's going to be lawsuits galore. Yeah, so there, there's, there's nail biting involved, and it does come down to the end. There's a good guy, a uh, bad guy, a good guy becomes a bad guy becomes a good guy. You know, it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it is an exciting movie by the end of it. All right, totally agreeing. All right, let's Thumbs shake up. this off and have a couple of groaners. What do you say? Yes, I think that's an incredibly good idea. Our groaners are provided to us by. Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr., commonly referred to as the coach. The coach. And the coach has delivered. He gave us three, and I'm able to come up with a few, two humdingers here. So let's go. Okay. All right. First one. What ethnic food do witches prefer? What ethnic food do witches prefer? I have no idea. This is close to home for you, by the way. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, must be Mexican food of some sort. It is Mexican food. You're you. Okay, you uh, want me? To go no, I got, I got, I got nothing. Okay, Tex Mex. What? Tex Mex. Tex Mex. Tex H E X. Hex like a witch puts a hex oh, on okay. you. Okay, I got you, got you, get it. Well, that makes sense, yeah, man. That is right in my backyard. This is the capital <laughs> of Tex Mex food. It's, it's not quite a thinking one. It's not like you have to think a lot on it, but it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if this one's going to fly, but I'm going to give it a shot. How does an army baker go into battle? How does an army baker, baker like pastries, etc., go into battle? I don't know. It's so bad. With buns glazing. (laughs) That is a really, that is so bad, it's a good one. With buns glazing. With buns glazing. That's pretty good, actually. That's nice. That's bad. Okay. All right. Good one, John. All right. See you then. Yeah, bye-bye.